I'm Kate, and welcome to the Picture House Podcast, where we discuss the architecture, design, and history of America's early cinemas. We hope that telling the stories of these places and the people associated with them will help you explore their place in our collective memory and our communities today. This episode will be the first in a series on the prolific Bowler Brothers, siblings from Missouri whose firm became one of the premier picture palace designers of the 1920s and 30s. The Bowler Brothers specialized in moderately sized movie palaces in the cities of the Midwest and the Southwest. And they cranked out designs at a rate and level of quality on par with many of the bigger names we discussed in our movie palace series, including John Everson, Thomas Lamb, and Rap and Rap. In this first episode on the Bowler Brothers, we'll learn a bit about them and some of their early designs. Carl Heinrich, sometimes later listed as Carl Henry Bowler, opened an architectural practice in St. Joseph, Missouri around 1902. He started out designing vaudeville theaters, including several for Lester Melville Crawford's circuit. Clearly, Bowler was successful because in 1905, he opened an office in Kansas City, Missouri, and shortly after, brought his brother, Robert Otto Bowler, into the firm in the capacity of draftsman. In 1907, they designed several theaters in Nevada Gold Rush towns, and in the early 1910s, they did work for the Sullivan and Considine vaudeville circuit in California. It was also during this period that the Bowlers took on the task of converting spaces in existing commercial buildings into movie theaters. The National Register nomination for Historic Theaters and Opera Houses of Kansas by Elizabeth Rosen, Dale Nims, and Kristen Otteson identifies several of these Main Street block to movie theater alterations, including the Empress Theater in Fort Scott from 1913 and the Palace Theater in Kinsley from 1917. Rosen and company also noted some of the early somewhat more extravagant Kansas cinemas of the Brothers Bowler, including the Barron Theater in Pratt from 1915, the Stella Theater in Council Grove from 1918, and Peabody's Sunflower Theater from 1919. The pair were almost exclusively theater architects, operating together out of Kansas City through World War I. After the war, Robert became a full partner and the firm operated from then on as the Bowler Brothers. Business continued to be good for them, and in 1921, Carl relocated to Los Angeles, running an office from there while Robert held down the fort in Kansas City. It seems that at this point, the brothers Bowler began to separate their work. According to the State Historical Society of Missouri, the majority of the post-1920 Bowler Brothers theaters in the Midwest, including most of the movie palaces we'll talk about in this series, were created by Robert. This is despite the fact that technically Carl was the senior partner. While it's not clear what, if any, formal training Carl and Robert Bowler had, they certainly seemed influenced, like many architects of their day, by designs from faraway places. In his book, The Best Remaining Seats, The Golden Age of the Movie Palace, Ben Hall included the Bowler brothers among the second generation of theater architects that loosened the confines of classicism bringing a measure of exoticism and whimsy to the picture palaces of the 1920s. And indeed, they created many excellent so-called exotic building designs. To be sure, 
the Bullers were skilled architects. But their excellence in theater design could also be due in part to the fact that they chose to focus almost entirely on theaters. The firm, which was credited with designing 80 theaters by 1921, had a nationwide reputation, and in 1922, their singular focus as theater architects was recognized. Later in his career, Robert Bowler would espouse the benefits of such specialization. The architect who specializes believes that by devoting his entire time to one type of building, he can become proficient in producing a nearly perfect building in that class. At the same time, he acknowledged that one acceptable area of deviation was that the theater architect must also be expert in the design of commercial buildings as well as the theater, as the two are generally built in combination. By the late 1920s, as the end of the movie palace era was close at hand, the bowlers had firmly established themselves as architects proficient in producing a nearly perfect theater. In a lengthy feature in Motion Picture News's Theater Building and Equipment Buyer's Guide from June of 1929, the firm was credited with being the controlling feature in the construction of 147 theaters, either as the original architects or in the capacity of advisory or consulting architects. Nearly 40 pages, with many photographs and beautiful colorized hand renderings, were devoted to the Bowler brothers and their work. Robert Bowler was interviewed as part of this special profile. Due to what was at the time the recent advent of sound in motion pictures, Bowler advocated for smaller auditoriums, noting that the exceptionally large theater is not productive of satisfactory acoustics. To address the apparent problem in massive movie palaces of the patron in the extreme side and rear seating failing to hear much that is spoken from the screen, Bowler proposed a solution of smaller spaces. The ideal theater, he said, is one with a capacity from 1,200 to 2,500. A house of this size can be made cozy and homelike in feeling, and regular patrons like this theater. Smaller houses could also be run more efficiently, both in terms of personnel and building systems like lighting and heating and cooling. Not to mention, better to have a smaller theater filled to capacity than a gigantic theater with many seats unfilled. This philosophy of smaller, but no less lavish movie palaces certainly had something to do with the Bowler brothers' success in the Midwest. Their scaled-down theaters were extremely appropriate for the metropolitan markets there, which were relatively small in size compared to other American cities. Robert Bowler believed that the elimination of grand stairways, lofty foyers, and other beautiful but vastly expensive features saves valuable ground space for revenue-producing shops. Theaters of 1,200 to 2,500 capacity have always been successful in our cities, and may be equally as refined as the deluxe house. In other words, smaller cities and big towns could still have beautiful theaters without having to rival the size of a New York or Chicago movie palace. Bowler saw an unlimited future for the moderate-capacity movie palace. This call for simplicity might sound familiar. In the final episode of our Movie Palace series, we talked about the waning days of the palace, and how by the end of the 20s, many architects were calling for a more straightforward way of doing things. 
Despite about a decade of designing opulent revival palaces, Bowler could be counted among them, as he noted that, we are emerging from a period marked by theater design involving heavy, and sometimes grotesque, ornamentation. He believed that, we must assume that continued patronage is dependent upon a cheerful environment, and that the depressing effect of the grotesque, approaching the morbid, should be avoided. He went on to say that good architecture requires the subdominant to accentuate the dominant. That is, there should be plain surfaces to bring out the ornament and detail. When a wall is treated with an overabundance of ornament, the dominant features are lost. While the 29 motion picture news piece credited the bowlers with working on almost 150 theaters, that number had reportedly jumped to more than 300 by 1931. Their work was spread across 24 states, with almost 100 of those theaters in Kansas alone. As noted in Historic Theaters and Opera Houses of Kansas, the bowlers designed theaters of many sizes and in many different styles, although they regularly adopted both exotic and regional themes. Among their most notable exotic projects were the Babylonian-themed Missouri Theater in St. Joseph, Missouri, and the very southwestern Pueblo Deco Chemo Theater in Albuquerque, New Mexico, both of which will profile in this series. And a good example of a local touch is the sunflower motif of the Sunflower Theater in Peabody, which is still extant today and is a community art and gathering space. In addition, Many of the Bowler's Kansas theaters exhibited a strong Spanish Mission Revival influence. We'll also look at a few of those. The Bowler Brothers, in the words of Motion Picture News, started in the days when moving pictures were unheard of and the legitimate stage was at the peak of its development. The brothers grew up with the motion picture industry. And although it seems that the Bowler Brothers firm stopped practicing in the early 1930s, and Carl Bowler passed away in 1946, Robert Bowler continued to design theaters both on his own and with a partner, at least until 1950. The Kansas Theaters and Opera Houses nomination notes that, during this final period of his career, Robert Bowler prepared plans for the Uptown Theater in Iola, the Granada Theater in Lawrence, the Fox Strand in Salina, the Hollywood Theater in Leavenworth, the Paramount Theater in La Crosse, the Overland Rio Theater in Overland Park, and several others. Bowler's last known commissions in Kansas were the Crest Theater in Great Bend and an unnamed theater in Goodland, both designed in 1950. Robert Bowler passed away in 1962. It was said that the greatest ambition possessed by the Bowler brothers is to create better theaters, at costs possible in communities ranging from the modest village to the metropolitan centers. This series is going to focus on several of the Bowler Brothers' more notable picture palace designs from the 1920s and 30s, to see if they did in fact succeed in making such better theaters. Although we've chosen to focus for now only on these two decades, as noted earlier, the Brothers Bowler were operating in the 1910s. We mentioned a few of those theaters, and those and other works from that period are also worth exploring if you're so inclined. 
I'd also encourage you now to go back and listen to our Movie Palace series if you haven't done so already. You'll get some good background on the prevailing architectural tastes of the time and the resulting trends in movie theater design. As for this series, in the next episode, we'll look at Albuquerque's Chemo Theater, an interesting style most often referred to as Pueblo Deco. In Part 3, we'll look at the Moorish Missouri in St. Joseph. In Parts 4 and 5, we'll look at highlights from 1928 and 29. We'll then wrap up the series with a look at two Art Deco theaters from the 1930s. I hope you'll join us. Until then, may your seats be ever in the center 